Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given. This is the show dedicated to the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week there is a referee shortage around the country. We're going to discuss what's happening and how you can be part of the solution. A big moment in Andorra as the team of female officials oversee England's World Cup qualifier. Northern Ireland's Jamal Lewis sees red after taking too long over a throw-in. We'll discuss that. Plus, when is a high boot not a high boot? Scotland getting the benefit of an on-pitch review in a crucial win over Israel. With me as always, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. How are you doing, Keith? I'm fine. Good evening. Also joining us this week, Simon Hall, Secretary of the Steel City Referee Association. And had a game today, Simon. How did it go? My game was awesome today. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> yeah, two incidents that have really tested the laws of the game today. Go on. Oh, what, so what happened today then? Uh, it was it actually was an under 11s game, which, so it was non competitive, and I had a dog so. Wow. And the lad deliberate, sorry, the lad was definitely attempting the ball, not the player. So I'll be straightforward. Did I send him or didn't I? No, I didn't. I had a nice little word with him. Nobody wanted him off the pitch. So common sense kind of kicked in. But the other one was just before half time. Striker goes to kick the ball. It goes up and hits his arm. At the moment, because it's a deflection, it's not a handball. He again goes, I'm thinking he's going to shoot and score here. So I'm getting ready to blow the whistle to, the, to disallow it. And he offsets it to a player who shoots and thankfully missed because I didn't fancy explaining that to under 11s. <laughs> <laughs> and the parents. Oh, yeah. Now, to be honest with you, they were brilliant. Everyone there was brilliant. It's full 100% respect, both teams. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, so, well, we're going to get into the grassroots situation a little later in the show. Let's deal with some of the incidents, though, arising from this weekend's World Cup qualifiers. Let's start with Andorra, an all-female team of officials led by Katerina Monzel. Keith, what did you make of the experience? Well, I think UEFA and, and FIFA are to be applauded in setting an example, I think. You know, if we look at the English FA... We're behind several countries in terms of having top-class referees by way of women refereeing at the Premier League level. Um, and that must be an aim. That must be part of a strategic development of the FA and the PGMOL. So I applaud that appointment. And then we go on to the game itself. You know, this is a relatively new experience for the match official. She's had years of experience refereeing, but this is something special. I think she'd already been involved in a, a previous international. But she didn't look phased. She looked comfortable. Uh, I liked her movement. There were, on the odd occasion, more because of the quality of the, of the players on the field of play. She probably crossed the path, the line of, of a pass and maybe have interfered with it once or twice, but that's really been picky. The penalty kick decision, she couldn't have been better placed. And she sold it very firmly. And her body language was such, I'm pointing at the penalty mark, I'm going to walk towards the penalty mark to emphasise that I'm, I'm in charge. The other aspect was the player's acceptance of her as a match referee, and the amount of respect that they afforded her. They didn't argue. 
but there wasn't much diving. It's acts of simulation. So I think the players responded really well to the fact that they got uh, a woman referee and a woman, a team of women match officials. The VAR, of course, was Stephanie Frappard, who's also uh, a very experienced uh, woman referee from France. She was on VAR. She took her time on an offside decision that looked tight, but I think was accurate. So I think the penalty kick and the offside decision, management of players was really good. She enforced the 10 yards quite forcibly and she spoke to players. And sometimes she didn't. The look was sufficient. The players responded a little bit, you know, uh, good to see. The one area that I would be slightly critical of, but give us some benefit of doubt, was in the 55th minute. There was that uh, Mark Rebus with a, a deliberate use of the elbow and she rightly was straight on it. There was some dis discussion as to whether it should have been straight red. I didn't actually couldn't see the whether there was a clenched fist because we all know as referees, if it's a clenched fist and it goes, then it's a very dangerous action. That would be a red card. But then later on, 66 minute, the same player did something similar. And at that time, I think I would have liked to have seen her issue a second yellow and dismiss because it was really no different in my opinion, than the first offence. But that is a minor criticism because it's an opinion referee. And her opinion was it wasn't the yellow card. I'm going to speak in this occasion because in a sense, it was a one-sided game. And, and so she adjusted. So I think that should create a stimulation to young referees in England and some of our existing referees like Simon's daughter to actually say, look, I can make it to the very highest level. Simon, yeah, let's let's bring that up, actually. As someone with a daughter who's refereeing, just how pleased were you to see, you know, someone uh, refereeing a World Cup qualifier, a men's World Cup qualifier, and, and doing the job that she did? You know, it's, it's, one of, it's, it's really weird to say because it is one of them things because when you're seeing different referees now making it and then you see that, okay, you can only but love it. And do you know what? The thing is, is for all uh, all officials, not just female officials out there, is to watch her body language and listen to her whistle tone because that's how Correct. she controlled the game beautifully. Is she was not afraid to go over? I will call it overboard on the whistle because there was a bit on one of the corners and she was going for it as she ran in. And I think every single official can learn from that. Because what she said at that moment in time is, I am here and I am in charge. And I loved it. And the thing is, is when I talked about such as my own daughter and what she's doing, one of her weaknesses for many years was her whistle tone. And it's got stronger and stronger and stronger. And now there's no about where she's going. So when she sees that, you know, it's amazing. And then you've also got the thing of, because we've got Rebecca Welsh. Now, I watched her yesterday mm -hmm. as well. And Rebecca Welsh apparently, uh, apparently had an outstanding game midweek at Chef Wednesday. Was it Mansfield, Keith? Yes. Everybody yeah, was praised, were they? Apparently, she was outstanding. We've then got Sean Massey in the Premier League. I don't think we're too far away from an English team might not be next season but it could be the season after 
I've said in the next five years, I, I you know, my view on Sean Rassi, I, Ellis, I, I, she's an outstanding assistant referee in the Premier League. There's absolutely no question about the quality of her work and her consistency that we don't see from other linesmen at the very highest level. Mm. Uh, but having said that, going back to my day, and that's the dark ages of the 80s, 90s, she would have been a linesman, but also then a pathway as a referee. Mm. And I, I still believe that, I think I might have been talking in a year, trying to convince her that the whistle might be a time now, with all that experience, yeah. to take that up and accommodate her in the system to give her a chance. As the layperson in this conversation, how far behind is football compared to other sports in terms of female officials because we're seeing in the in rugby union in the premiership now there is sarah cox who is regularly officiating at premiership games and doesn't seem to mind the players calling us sir either i mean you know how far away simon do you think we, we we might be from football catching up with perhaps other sports i will say two years and the reason i'm going to say two years and give it quite a specific time frame is uh Bibiana's now in charge of the female PGMOL side. So I think it might Riley must be the overhead. And then now that you've got uh, Bibiani from Germany, is she, Keith? Yes. Yep. She's in yep. charge. And, and I know she's hands-on. And I think as she gets to know everything, I think she'll excel everything to where it needs to be. And, and like I say, there are quite a few officials um, in the game now who are knocking on that door to make that next step. Now, I, I could go on to being a little bit controversial in the sense that some people need to move aside to allow people through. These people just below them are good enough. It's just that there's a little bit of a bottleneck at the moment mm. of people mm. holding on to that level because they can pass a fitness test but I just think it's time that some referees do need to move on and allow a younger generation, I say younger, a better generation through. Just in terms of the grassroots and the numbers that we see now of referees who want to become the next generation, you know, what is the proportion of men to women now who are asking for training and wanting to become referees compared to what it was maybe 10 years ago? Oh, I think it, it, it's, it's quite vast, to be honest. I have, some different, I have different opinions because one bit it was all male. Then we've had a few female going into that core group and pushing through. We've now got both. We've got a male and a female core group, which is priceless, you know, in the sense of training, coaching, development. Um, so now the numbers going forward, I mean, I wish I could remember a name. I watched a young lass at Chef FC Ladies at the beginning of the season and, and she was brilliant. And she's part of the core group. So, you know, literally her old demeanor, everything on the pitch was right. Everything. It, it was great to see. So now, numbers-wise, I, th I think we're definitely getting there in the terms of the training, which means that over the next probably six to 12 months, the standards will change. You know, they will go even higher. And then hopefully, Viviana on that, will continue the process the way it needs to be. So let's take a look at um, one of the more controversial incidents of the weekend. Switzerland against Northern Ireland. Jamal Lewis, a second yellow card, this in the 36th minute of the contest, uh, taking too long over a throw. He gets that second yellow and he's off, in a sense, for 
taking too long over a throw-in. Uh, Keith, we we spoke uh, a few weeks ago about players getting sent off for technical offences and it not being something you're a massive fan of. In this case, what do you make of it? Well, I think the referee was left with little option. Uh, the referee had indicated where he wanted the throwing taken. Uh, I think he had sufficient communication with that player to say, come on, get on with it. And the player completely ignored the match official as though it's almost like a bit of youthful sort of, I'm not bothered about you, ref. I'm just doing it as I am. And it was clearly delaying the restart beyond what is acceptable. Now, what more can the referee do? He might have got closer. I don't know. But in reality, I think he was left with no option than to apply the law. And it's such a daft sending off. We've got to recognise as referees, I think, that our responsibility in terms of timekeeping, and I've moaned often in the past about a lack of sufficient added time being allowed for the stoppages that take place in the game. And I credit this referee for doing what he did, having the, if you like, courage to say, well, you're not taking any notice of my management. I've come in. I've actually tried to get you to take it quicker. You're ignoring me. So, hey, you're off. Do you think there was a, a sense of invulnerability that Jamal Lewis might have felt because it's the 36th minute of the game, I'm on a yellow card, he's surely, the referee, not going to send me off no matter how long I take over this throw-in. So therefore he felt he had more licence than in actuality he did. You know, referees are our own worst enemy and we convey sort of nuances in the game across to players. It may well be that he's had a few referees in his career recently that have tolerated that. But again, I, I, the old point is that when you are at international level or European cup level, the eyes of assessors are on that individual. The eyes of the world are on that individual quite often in terms of the referee. And he is expected because he's living in a very competitive world. He's, you know, the, the people who think, oh, I'll just get the international level without achieving a, a modicum of success in their, own, in their own country is a million miles away from the fight. It's a very competitive environment. And when they get there, they, they are seen to apply the laws. And in a way, uh, when I look into Europe and I look around the world, the referees become more selfish. And they go, right, it's you or me. I've got the laws of the game. If I don't apply them, I'm going I'm to get hit on the head downmarked and all the things that uh, apply to a referee. So I'm not allowing that to happen. I'm, I'm going to take this view. I'm, you know, I've given you sufficient management time. You've not responded. The law, unfortunately, doesn't allow him to do anything else other than that. He can't ignore the law. He's applied the law. So from my perspective, as a, as a former referee coach and trainer and manager, he did what he had to do. Simon, do you concur? I do, I do. The the thing with <laughs> the laws of the game, players pushing and pushing and pushing, that's what they do until you've had enough. If you're on a yellow card, you, you can't push the laws anymore. And like any referee, so on a corner, you're a referee, 
Hands down, hands down, no pushing, no pulling. You are warning everyone what you are looking for. This is no different. He would have known what the referee wanted. And like, like he said, it's the 36th minute. Referees only deal with uh, time wasting when there's five minutes to go and a team's losing 1 0. Well, it actually wasn't. He was correcting law. Without a doubt, he's correcting law. And how many times, I'm, I always put a reflection on grassroots, and sometimes you shout, you shout, you shout, you deal with it, and you hear the manager shout, well, he couldn't have warned you anymore. You yeah. know, and this yeah. is because it's international that it's a problem, but it's not, it's correct. I thought what was interesting was listening to the pundits, ex-players, like Ian Wright last night on television, supporting the referee's decision. Both pundits agreeing that the referee had done his job by way of communicating to that player, and the player hadn't responded. And, and therefore, I think the argument here really is the manager to give him some operational advice, <laughs> the player. Uh, when he when he next is in the squad, ready, preparing for the next game. He'll never do it again. He won't. And a lot of other players will not do no. it again either. Be interesting to see what happens in the Premier League next weekend on, yeah. uh, on a few throw-ins. We'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, also, a high boot that ultimately wasn't in Scotland's 3-2 win over Israel. Lyndon Dykes with a goal, Scotland's second, which was initially ruled out and then the decision was reversed after an on-pitch review. Simon, when you're looking for a high boot, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? And what do you make of the decision that was made here? I'm looking for if it endangers the opponent. Because when you look at an overhead kick and a goal and we all go, that's marvellous and that's wonderful... Yeah, they it's did it endanger the opponent? And the thing is, his foot was completely ahead of the player. The player put his head across him from behind. So me, I think it was it was completely brilliant decision. It was the perfect use of VAR. However, I will say the referee, because he had cautioned uh, Dykes, he told him it wasn't anymore because of what had happened. But I would have gone back and cautioned the player who feigned injury, grabbing his head and rolled around on the floor. I would have cautioned. I'd have loved to him to have cautioned that, having seen it again, to say, nah, he didn't touch you, he was ahead of you. Interesting that, Keith. Within the VAR protocol, can a referee do that? I think, first of all, Simon's answer is a perfect one. I think he's absolutely spot on. I think in terms of VAR, if there is... Uh, a scenario of a, of a goal or a doubtful goal in this situation, a clear and obvious error, then in that case, it can come in. He's not allowed, of course, to come in on what in effect is or could be a, a yellow card. And therefore, I think that's more about management and the quiet word rather than maybe between the officials privately rather than VAR uh, involvement, but it was a perfect VAR interruption and an outcome. Let me just say, on in defence of the referee, in, in certain situations, when you're out there in the middle and you're in the intensity of a game, I will you will hear me often talking about having the right, having been in the proximity of play, but also having the right viewing angle, and I suspect the angles played a part in, in this initial decision by the referee. But again, I'll go back to the other thing. Did he guess? 
And if referees start in the world of guessing, then they're going to guess wrong. And and so I much prefer if I if I'm coaching or have been assessing a referee, he gives it honestly. He's seen it and not as a guess. And I wondered whether there was an element of guessing in this one. I think as well, Keith, because I watched the game, it was one of the most enthralling games I think I'd seen for a long yeah. time at international level. The temperature, and as referees, we talk about the temperature of the game, and it does change your decision-making. And the, the temperature of that game never came down. Not for one second did it come down. It was high all the time. So as a referee, mm. in his own mind is, I'm going to cut anything out, cut anything. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to stand for anything on the pitch. Because if he stood for anything, it would have blown up big time. Um, and you'd have ended up with a mass confrontation and all sorts happening. And nobody wanted to see red cards in that game because it was so good. So I think an element of your right is the angle. But I think also at the same time of it, I think he's gone, no, his foot's up. I'm, I've seen his foot's up, so therefore I'm taking this. Yeah. We're going to move this conversation away from VAR, perhaps as far away from VAR as you can get, really, to the grassroots side of the game, Simon. And uh, people will have seen reports in the last week or so about uh, the referee shortage, uh, yeah. numbers in, around the country, anywhere down between any anywhere between fifteen and and forty percent, depending on where you look. Um, so I wanted to get a sense of what it's looking like on the ground where you are in in Sheffield. What what is the grassroots referee picture right now? Well, I actually heard somebody call it the ref-demic, which I thought was quite a funny little take on it at the moment. And uh, the interesting thing is, is I'm one of those polite people. I reply to all the text messages, but I've actually stopped now. Um, If it says Simon at the front, I tend to reply. But if it says, hi, I'm looking, it means I know it's been a blanket send. And to give you an idea... I've probably turned down 15, maybe 16 games this weekend alone. The the amount of I'm seeing in WhatsApp groups and various other places, group platforms, is constantly looking for a ref, looking for a ref. Now, you used to be able to look for a ref on a Monday night for a Sunday. People are asking for the, the end of November now because they're trying to get people booked in now for them. The other side of the grassroots is the money side of things because um, referees are paid and there's a set fee outlined by uh, County FA and some of the silly money people have been offered to go and referee a game is a really, really worrying trait and the referee secretaries of the Junior League and the girls league have made a big stance to say to everyone that if we find out that you've took a game and charged more we will report you to the county fa this is something i wasn't real i didn't realize was going on simon so so essentially some clubs will offer you know a, a much bigger number than than this the quoted amount yeah. that they should be just to make sure they get a referee just, i mean yeah. when did this start happening is this something that was pre pandemic or is this something that is now very much post covid this is the fact, this is when it's been realised as a problem because I don't think everybody thought about the problem the way that it has. 
It was predicted. Myself and Keith had a conversation yeah. a long, long time ago that it was coming. Yeah. Well, you stim you stimulated that conversation with your I, well, the thing is, close proximity to grassroots football. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is throughout, obviously, we were we were checking in as part of the referee association. Obviously, we we checking on different people, make sure they're all right with everything that was going on. But they were all, everyone's saying, say, oh, I'm off out at Sunday. I'm going for a walk. I'm out. I'm doing this. No one's shouting at me. And then it's no surprise now that people have chosen to go walking in the countryside with the family, with the dogs, than going to a park to be shouted at. And is that the biggest thing, that the, the abuse of, of referees, the single biggest factor that is driving people away from the game? Yeah. I think what you've got is... It was a question I asked way before we even knew the word COVID existed. And that, that question I kept asking County FA without reply was, if we had no courses, what is the retention of our referees? Because what was happening is, if 30 referees left, you put a course on and they had 30 brand new referees come in. So the numbers were fine. And the question was, what is the retention rate of the referees from the year before? And it, they refused. Well, they would just never answer. It was one of those questions they would never answer. Well, we've now seen what happens when there's no referee courses. Because there's no new referees coming on. And then, so everybody who would leave normally, so whether that be age, fitness, uh, just decided that that's it kind of thing. But then you've got now the abuse on the side of that and the abuse since the pandemic has been higher. Don't know why, don't know if it's locked up or what, it's just one of those things that it has been even worse. So with no courses, Everyone's walked away. Now, some county FAs, uh, they've been so quick to get courses on the go. So if they've had nine courses and, say, for instance, they've had 20 at each one, then you can work out the numbers that they're all brand new referees. They are replacing experienced referees. So you can't keep the standards. If a level four... Level five that I know's walked away as of yesterday, but today he's actually saying he's taking a break, which is even better than walking away from yesterday. So I spoke to them, and they used to be on contrib, so they're not just grassroots, even though they are doing grassroots now. They've had enough, but he'll be replaced by a brand new 14-year-old lad that's never wrecked a game in the life. So your standards can only be going lower and not higher. And presumably as well, I mean, of the people who go on those courses, some will stick it out, but many of them, uh, I would assume, don't get more than a few games in before three. they decide, you know what, I don't want to do it. It's three three games is their figure. It is they are lasting three games. The newly qualified refs, or I say they're not newly qualified because you technically have to do six games to become qualified. They're not getting past the third game. So as a parent, I've just paid £110 save for my child to do the course. I've paid £30 because they then have to do a safeguarding course. I've paid me £11 for my DBS. I've paid 50, 60 quid if I just want a run-of-the-mill kit for them. So I'm £200 in the hole. They're going to do it for three games and go, I've had enough and walk away. Keith, it's a, a really sad situation at the moment. Well, I... <laughs> I worry about the old situation uh, because in my time, um, and I know things change, and I've I've been part of that 
uh, evolution. But I, I, I took the examination over six weeks with the Referees Association, who were the, the key educators, for free. For free. I became a referee. I didn't put a penny in. I then had to go out and purchase my kit, which I did. The Referees Association now assists that process. They assist, if you like, from an insurance point of view. And the, the glaring error that the FA appear not to want to grip is that the, any other business would go outside by employing, as the government does, experts to educate and inform their staff. There's almost this close shop approach by the Football Association that says, I don't want the Referees Association. And there are, okay, there may be some shortcomings within the Referees Association itself. But as, you know, I sat there for six evenings being taught the laws of the game by referees who were active at the time. Uh, so great understanding for free. And then I refereed football matches. We didn't have mobile phones then. But nonetheless, the next time I went to the Referees Association meeting, I could discuss how I was going, how I was performing. And of course, going into Concord Park and around Sheffield refereeing was much easier then than it is now. Because Simon raises this big issue, and this big issue is the referees not being given a chance. They all think that referees who run out on a Sunday morning at, at grassroots level have all got the ability of Howard Webb or Mike Dean, and they're unforgiving. And then they get on the back of the referee, and, you know, I make a plea to some degree the referee is looking forward to officiating during the course of the week. They're preparing. Uh, they're preparing for the game, looking ahead, and then they get to the point of the game, and then they're being verbally abused and, in some instances, put under that physical presence pressure, not the physical side, because that does happen, but when they're walking off, there's no encouragement. It's just like you've done this wrong, that wrong, that wrong. And, and Simon's right. They go out and walk the dog or walk with the family rather than actually participate in refereeing. Now, what surprises me is that within the, the referee convention that I up to write, which is adhered in very strongly in, other, in the 54 nations other than England being in Europe, is that retention process. And that is monitoring every referee very carefully. If that referee says, you know, I'm quitting, it might be I'm going to retire, that is locked. So there is a very clear tracking process of why referees are leaving the game, and then things can be adjusted. Now, I was in somewhat pleased this week because I saw a list of uh, fines and suspensions issued by the Football Association's regulatory body. One of those suspensions was signed out for an assault where a player put his hand in the throat of a referee and then threatened to punch. That should never happen on a field of play. And I was pleased that the FA said, right, OK, you've got a five-year ban, signed out, 
Don't even come back looking for an appeal. We're not giving you one. And we'll review the situation after five years. Now, I just think there's got to be more of that to actually get us back to a level playing field where referees can enjoy their sport, which is refereeing. Simon, just on that, the the support that referees get, it's often when you look at social media, one of the complaints that I see often is that there isn't that backing up of a referee who is often going to these games on their own, they're in an environment that might be a bit hostile to them, and then they're absorbing an awful lot during the, the 90 minutes or 60 minutes if it's a youth game or whatever it is, and then they've got no one to talk to, and if anything controversial happens they might be the only witness prepared to speak upon their behalf as to what happened. Yeah. Do you know what's actually interesting on that is, like you said, they are the only witness. A referee is representing the FA as their, if you like, when they're on the pitch, I'm representing the FA. So if I see something and I report something, I expect it to be dealt with. But it isn't. You know, there's a young lad who was followed to the car park a few weeks ago, and we already know that there's no case being that, that the FA have thrown it out. So, where how does that make that young referee feel who's been followed to the car park, threatened, written a report, sent it in, but not been supported? That's when you feel, um, sorry, not nothing's been found out about it, but that's when you feel alone, you know, from the FA. Does the FA ring every Monday? when they hear about an assault of a referee. No, they don't. If a referee says they've been threatened, they don't get a phone call. Some do. So I am going to mention another riding FA. Keith knows how I feel. I watch everything they do. They are heads and shoulders above other county FAs, and they should be there because their referees are at the forefront. Some of us believe, and it is that, and I can tell you now that the morale at the ranks of referees at the moment is low. You know, they are feeling very unsupported in a number of ways because you never get told anything. There's no communication. And that's not just from local county FA, that's national FA. Do we feel unsupported on social media? Yeah, we do. And some of us, because we haven't got a career anymore, we're quite open to say it. You know, and we'll put it on there and we'll tag various people in it. But you'll never get anything bad. They have loads of ideas, loads of offers of support for these young referees, but they just won't do it. That it's it's a tick box exercise, Mike. It, it literally is. It's if they've got a tick box to say, we must do this, right, we've done that. We must do this, we've ticked that. Rather than we must do this well. That's a different sentiment, so we must do this. We must do this really, really well. And that's what's not happening. And the thing is, is we talk about the courses. The course now is you pass the laws of the game before you actually go and do like, I think it's a two-day practical. My thing is, in the modern era, bear in mind, our 14, 15, 16-year-olds now are used to e-learning. Why aren't they doing a full-on e-learning, scenario-based learning situation of what would you do? What would you give? Why would you give it? Because if you did that, they would learn so much. Then do a bit of practical. Then let them go and referee a game, preferably at an academy. 
where there's no abuse whatsoever because you're not allowed it. And why aren't you allowed abuse at academy? Because your kid will get you will get kicked out of that club. So therefore, there's no abuse. So it's a safe environment. Every game's recorded at academy, and as a um, as an RDO, referee development officer, the clues in the name, development officer, I go through the video or somebody tags the video and they turn around and go, right, here we go. We've got an online tonight and these are your games. We're going to discuss what you've done, how you've done it. And lo and behold, they've got ongoing training. It's their own games. It's not Premier League scenarios. It is grassroots scenarios and the confidence of watching it sounds like if somebody's made a mistake, whether it be in law, technical, whatever, you can see why. And you learn with your class, if you like, whether it be class of 2021, whatever. It's not rocket science to fix the problem. It really isn't. Get harsh on the ones who are doing it. And don't get me wrong. There's a difference between abuse and undermining. Because you sometimes get the parent on the side spectator will say, oh, we got that one wrong. But just loud enough for you to hear it and quite a few other people. He's not necessarily abusing you. He's just trying to undermine you. And and it's a case of things like that is we could do a proper course for all these referees on learning how to either not react because if you've had so much abuse for so many years, some of the older refs now will be quite um, aggressive in their reply. And that's not good for anyone. Mm. Whereas somebody such as myself, there were a game yesterday, I gave a throw in. I saw a woman look and she was really, really like pointing and I knew she didn't agree. And I put my hand up to her and says, Sorry, I says, literally, because there was that many lines on the pitch. I says, it's the blue line, not the white line. I got it wrong. And she smiled because she had some mm. interaction from the referee who literally said, I spotted the light. I saw the wrong line because there were that many colours. And that's what we're not dealing with. We're not dealing with man management. Let me go into visualisation, you know. I suspect we could talk about this all night, Simon. I, I really do, because there's there's so much so much going on here i mean the question i have really for, for both of you is if the environment was like this when you were thinking about starting refereeing do you think you would have started i think uh, given what i see now i think it would be most unlikely that i would take up the whistle which is really sad because i'm one that's traveled to 100 countries and had huge and personal enjoyment of officiating and a lot of support from grassroots football in and around Sheffield when I was at that level of, of the game. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it is down to education of the individual, not just in the laws of the game, as Simon has rightly touched on, manage, management of people, uh, developing their own self-confidence through correct mentoring. And then, if you like... Uh, getting to a point where you can start talking about conflict management and how how you can use that level of expertise to to assist them. But Simon's right, you know, um, going to a meeting for a couple of hours is insufficient. The online e-learning platforms that could be developed with interaction and 
almost like if I've got a problem on a laptop, I can get in touch with a manufacturing gear and almost a, an electronic response. I know that Simon has that capability of doing that, him and his, his business, other than the Referees Association. A lot of what he does now is educating through showing film clips um, and then having a discussion online. So I just think that we're a bit, the FA is a bit antiquated. It's, it's not putting sufficient investment in. It's great at doing the headline banners, respect, and putting the badges on the shirts. It's actually much more than that. Yeah. It's actually saying, look, how can we train and educate players to behave? And if they don't behave, then they shouldn't be part of our game. It's as simple as that. Simon, when I asked that question about whether you would start or 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 not, whether you were you know starting out today, I think I would because it, it's so rewarding. Some of the things that you've got out of this, right? We shouldn't. I don't want to leave it on this kind of conversation that you know refereeing is just this dead end thing where it's you know a, a horrible experience the whole time. Because well, tell me why it's not. Yeah, I I would, I would still pick up the whistle. And even though it's hard sometimes, I would hope both my kids still pick up the whistle because I think as people, it's changed them. It's changed the way they are in life. If I got a CV through to my uh, business that literally said they were a qualified referee, I'll be honest with you, would I put them at the top? Absolutely. Because if you've got the guts to do that, you definitely deserve an interview. I think it teaches a lot of skills. I, I really do. Would I do it now? I don't know if I'd have got to the level that I got to now because I'm like, I mean, Keith's support, I think, was more than what my support was, but I got support, whereas I think at the moment they're trying to get the support back in the game uh, for the next lot of referees. I think it's been lost and it's coming back in now we've mentioned my daughter she had a very very close-knit ring around her of very very highly qualified referees and they have been amazing and she had a chance to work with Keith Roger Dilt and Mark Halsey they changed her game it was unbelievable how much they changed the game so I think there's things that are right there are times when it's the most amazing experience today. I watched, I today I watched a 10-year-old curl the ball in the top corner. I was stood right behind it, and there's not a better feeling in the world than actually watching it from the best seat in the house. And that's why refereeing is absolutely amazing. I mean, the other side of it is just just think that you're going to referee a, a North... Northern Counties East League game this weekend at Hallam Football Club. And there were 600 plus spectators. That's a great, that must, that must have been a great feeling for that referee. Yeah. Okay, the pressure that comes as you walk out into the middle, the elation that you get and the, and the, the pressure that comes from it. And then having delivered a game, the enjoyment that you accrue from that. The, the sense of achievement. Simon's absolutely spot on. When I look at my career development, it ran parallel to, to my refereeing, where, you know, I had no management skills when I set out in refereeing. 
I eventually got to the top where I was managing a lot of people, five, 600 people, and a, and a, a, a turnover business of, in excess of five plus million. And then the challenges of each individual. So I think that for a young referee now, they don't have to wait the 12 years that I had to wait refereeing in grassroots football because we've got people like Michael Oliver who did that in eight years. We got Rebecca Welsh who did that in a less period, who's now refereeing at the uh, football league level. And whilst we stay, and I quote something that's negative, I think when somebody goes and watches a football match currently at grassroots level, and they see a referee being abused verbally in that sense, that is the point at which they may have gone to that game thinking, I wouldn't mind being a referee. I'm not a very good player in some instances. What else can I do in football? I can become a referee. And they see what's going off and it influences them greatly. And some of the kids on that field who might also want to become referees become slightly tarnished towards the referee in the way that they're treating them. So there are lots of uh, areas that are negative in refereeing. But again, I'm, I make the point as a, a local lad from Sheffield, just like Uriah Rennie, Howard Webb in Doncaster, we've traveled the world refereeing and we were members of the Sheffield and Hallamshire County FA. At that time, I feel that the support mechanisms that we received were much superior to what is received now. I can remember early in my career getting a call from the county FA secretary going and visit him. And, and it was a 20 minute discussion that was, was of encouragement of, I like what you're doing and, and all those sort of things. And I came out of that room knowing that I was on the right pathway. It's that personal touch, that communication that if you like overall umbrella that says refereeing is more than just refereeing. It's delivering a game, however you want to do it efficiently, but you gain a lot of friends and friendship, you know, and I think that's the thing we can do. We can pick the phone up, not only speak to people within the city, but we can speak to people around the world if need be, in order to have a discussion and discuss something that's, um, that's taking place. I think that's a lovely place to leave it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Keith, Simon, thank you so much. If you've got a question for Keith, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can send us a message. We're on Twitter as well, at seen underscore them underscore given. Uh, if you stayed with us for the whole show, thank you so much for, for listening. And there's new episodes, if you're new to this, every Monday, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And just a quick reminder, if you have enjoyed the show, give us a rating or leave a review wherever it is you get your podcasts as well. It'll help other people discover the show uh, for now though thank you so much for your company keith thank you simon thank you thanks simon we will see you next time <laughs>